Ben, thank you very much for some really kind words there. Just wonder if you can join me in closing your eyes. I want to reiterate what Ben said this morning, and the Holy Spirit is here. I just wonder if you can sense what the Holy Spirit is saying, that God is a good, good Father. What I want you to imagine this morning is that His loving arms are just enveloping you across your chest. And I know that for many of us it has been a difficult season in this family. But there have been times of trouble, family issues, financial issues, worry about what the world and what's going on in uncertainty. But I want us to know this morning, and I believe the Holy Spirit would remind us this morning, that God is good. He is overwhelmingly good. His goodness is so good that we cannot even begin to comprehend how good He is. And so before we even start, let us come from a place of God's goodness this morning. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. It's always a privilege to come around and share the Word of God and share what He has been speaking to me about. And thank you, Pastor Jed, for the opportunity. It's not something I ever take lightly. And I know I often say this, but I mean it. It is, it is really a privilege to be up here. And thank you for your time. But I believe that God wants to do something significant today. As we were praying earlier, the word destiny came to my mind. And I believe that today is going to be a point of reference, a point of destiny as we step into something that God has prepared for us to take hold of. But before we start, I thought I'd give you a little bit of an update. I know that there's been many of you praying for Mel and Carolyn and our family, and we really do appreciate the prayers. On the weekend, we found out that Carolyn is um, coming home on Monday, but unfortunately, they have, um, they've changed from dealing with the cancer now. It's just palliative care. So... Um, yeah, if you can continue to pray into that space, it is awesome that Carolyn is coming home. Praise God for that. But you yeah, still desperately need your prayers. So if you can continue to pray, that would be awesome. But as I mentioned earlier, God is good. He's overwhelmingly good. And in every circumstance, he is already victorious, and we're claiming that. So, Intimacy with God. In a time where we live on shaking sand, well, most of the world does, we have a source of hope. We have a source of assurance. And that is our relationship. That is the intimacy that we can have with God. And Brendan, if you can put up that first passage of Scripture there. Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My thoughts, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there's no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. You know, I love this passage. David so eloquently put here his heart and longing for intimacy with God. You know, I really admire David. He's a bit of an emo kid, but the other aspect of his character is he's that 
this fierce warrior. And so sometimes there's this conflict of interest, or it at least seems like a bit of a conflict between two aspects of his character. Someone who's in touch, in tune with his emotions, but also someone who is fierce and willing to go out and show courage on the battlefield. And I love that about him. In David, we find a man who is deeply flawed, and we know, of course, of his downfall. But in the same sense, he is so desperate to walk in community and in fellowship with God. Hope Point, it is my prayer that as a community, as a people, that we would have the heart of David, a heart for worship and a heart of intimacy. Another character that I've recently been contemplating is this fellow in the, the book of Genesis, chapter 5, verse 24, and he goes by the name of Enoch. And, and there's only a couple of verses about Enoch. We don't know a heck of a lot about him, but in verse 24, we read, Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. Have you ever considered what it means to be was not? One second Enoch was here on earth doing his thing, he might have been plowing his field or whatever it was that he was doing, and then the next minute he was just gone. And it's a passage of scripture because it's sure we can just fly through it. But it has a profound message, I believe. Perhaps this passage not only describes how Enoch left this earth, but maybe, just maybe, this passage describes to us the type of relationship which Enoch had with his heavenly Father. I believe when Enoch was spending time in prayer, in the presence of God, he lost track of time. See, when Enoch spent time with God, suddenly he found that his desires, his emotions, his actions started to become attuned to the one who created him. Have you ever experienced this? Have you ever caught up with someone maybe for coffee or some other type of beverage, and enjoyed your time so much that you just lose track of time. Thoughts like hunger and to-do lists and responsibility just seem to go out the window in moments like that. I believe this was Enoch's daily reality. As he walked with God, he just simply lost track of himself. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been really challenged and God has put it on my heart to actually make time to be more intimate with Him. I remember very clearly a couple of weeks ago before school finished, we were doing report cards and life was really busy. And in the midst of that busyness, I was sitting in my study at my computer and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and He said to me, I want you to create a sacred space of intimacy with me. But, you know, I believe, Hope Point, that is not just an individual call, although I believe it is for me, but for us as a group of Christian people. As the church, God is calling us at the end of 2021 to become people who are intimate with Him. Our world, our community, the people in our workplaces, they deserve a church who is intimate with the one who formed them. We need to get in touch with the author of our life so that we can walk in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit wherever we go. But it's going to take getting intimate with God. A people who can mimic the heart, attitude and power of God through the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit ministers through us.
I read a quote recently by Bill Johnson, which I absolutely loved, and he just encapsulates this thought so well. He says, royalty is my identity. And this morning, Hope Point, we need to know that we are royalty. That is our identity. Because of what Jesus did, because of who Jesus is, because of who our Heavenly Father is, we are royalty. Don't let anyone else tell you any different. Servanthood is my assignment. We have a mandate. We have a calling to minister to the people in our lives. God has placed us for a specific time and a specific purpose where we are. Sometimes we go through life and we don't know why we find ourselves in the situations that we do. But God has orchestrated it and he has a plan and a purpose for us is to be his servants and to share the gospel and to make a difference in our community through the Holy Spirit. But then he goes on to say and he finishes with in this quote, Intimacy with God is my life source. And the truth of the matter is, if we cannot get intimate with God, if we cannot come from a place of intimacy with Him, then we will not have the power to be able to be servants. We will not understand our inheritance and our royalty. It stems from, it comes from spending time in His presence, spending time being intimate with him. Do we want to be a church? Do we want to be a people who have an impact on our community? We need to get intimate with God. Now, I was so inspired, Gwen, the other week when you spoke and you just shared the testimony of walking up those stairs and just being hit by the anointing of God as you passed your art room. And I, there's something in my heart that's just, I want that. I want to have that experience with God, to be so intimate, to have a place. And look, the Holy Spirit lives within us. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit and you carry God wherever you go. We can go nowhere where we can be away from God. That's true. But there's something significant about having a special place to meet, a sacred time to set aside to be with God. You know, Jesus in his times of great trouble and need stepped out away from the crowd to get closer with God, his heavenly father. He stepped out into the garden of Gethsemane. He stepped out into the wilderness. He stepped onto the sea of Galilee so that he could draw close to God, get inspiration through an intimate relationship with his creator. So what is intimacy and why is it important for our relationship with God? According to a good friend of our church, Pastor Alan Meyer, he's um, the author and a pastor of Life Keys. He talks about this idea of intimacy in one of his courses, Valiant Man. And what he says is that intimacy can also be better understood as into me see. When we think about the word intimate or intimacy, and look at its Latin derivative, it comes from the word called intimus. And what intimus means is in most. And so far from just being when sometimes people use intimacy or intimate to describe a physical connection between people, intimacy is actually a knowing, a being known and a deeply knowing of someone else. 
And in a healthy marriage relationship, what that would look like is someone knowing you physically, emotionally, spiritually, and being known as well. I praise God for Mel. She oftentimes keeps me safe, but she knows me very, very well. She knows all my flaws, which there are many of. I praise God she still loves me. Enoch knew God, and God fully knew Enoch. Have you ever looked into someone's eyes? Have you ever taken the time just to look, deeply look into someone's eyes? I've heard of an amazing activity that they do at a Bethel marriage course where they take couples or partners and they, they get them to look into each other, husband and wife staring into each other's eyes for 30 minutes. Now, if you've never tried that, I highly recommend that you give it a go. It's actually amazingly difficult. There's something in us that just like a, 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 a protection mechanism that stops us or wants to stop us from being vulnerable, even with those people close to us, even with the people that we love. What if they look at me? What if they look into my eyes and realize that I'm a phony, that I'm a pretender, that I'm not who I say I am? What if they look into my eyes and they decide that they don't trust me or that they don't respect me? Or what if they reject me? Or worse, what if they look into my eyes and they turn away laughing? These are all thoughts that we will wrestle with because vulnerability takes courage. And there can be no intimacy without vulnerability. Are we a people who can be courageous enough to become vulnerable? Lord knows our families need us to be. Lord knows our community need us to be. Can we allow ourselves to open up to our world? I want to linger here for a moment. I read some statistics recently, some damning statistics about relationships in Australia, in particular during this COVID period. If you want, you can check them out at uh, Relationships Australia. And one of the studies that was done on relationships showed that 29% of relationships are worse off during the COVID period from between the 20th of June to the 21st of July. And this is based off surveys where people actually said that their relationship health has declined, so it's coming straight from the couples. That's nearly a third of relationships in Australia are worse off. You know, thinking about it, it kind of makes sense. What COVID has done is it's forced us to narrow our connection circles. We haven't been able to move around as much as we've wanted to. We haven't been able to spend as much time with other people as we've wanted to. And so we have been drawn closer to our family units. And so what happens is the, the scars that are there from the past, the deep hurts that have not been healed, the cracks are starting to show. In the past, before COVID, we might have been able to hide or avoid those things, but no longer. Maybe it's time for us to take back the ground that the enemy has stolen in our relationships. 
Maybe it's time for us to get in the trenches and start getting aggressive and fighting for the ones that we love. Maybe it's time that we spend time in prayer with our spouses, with our children, with our siblings, with our parents. Maybe it's time that we start fighting against the plan that the enemy has for our families. Maybe it's time that we started seeking help for addictions. John 13 verse 35 says this, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. How can we expect to love our community if we cannot love each other? Family is worth fighting for. Our relationships are worth fighting for. There can be no intimacy without vulnerability, and vulnerability takes courage. It is going to cost us something. If you have your Bible this morning, I'd like to start my message. We'll go to Luke 19, verse 1 to 10. We can look at a very well-known scripture here. This is the story of Zacchaeus. I don't know how many sermons I've heard on Zacchaeus, all of them wonderful, of course, but as I was reading through the story, the Holy Spirit just revealed aspects of it that I probably haven't seen before, or at least not really deeply considered. And it's my prayer that today God will reveal something to you as well. So Luke 19, 1 verse 10. Jesus then entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector who was very wealthy. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but could not see over the crowd because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was about to pass that way. Let's pause. What do we know about Zacchaeus? We know that he was a tax collector, he was wealthy. And he was small in stature. To give you a little bit of a cultural context about tax collectors of the day, they were people who worked for the Roman Empire. And what the tax collectors used to do was they were in charge of collecting money from their own people, funds for the empire. But of course, we know from history that many of these tax collectors were quite corrupt, particularly the Roman tax collectors. And what they would often do is they would collect money from their people, and and then on top have their own tax, which would line their own pockets. And so very quickly, they became much hated by their own people. And so here's Zacchaeus. It's very likely that he was very disliked. He would not have been a popular person at all. But then in verse 3 and 4, we see that Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. No doubt he had heard about Jesus. At this stage in his ministry, Jesus had started to do some pretty radical things and people might have heard something down the grapevine. And Zacchaeus wanted to see who this person Jesus was. He had a faint idea, but he didn't know who he was. That's why he wanted to see who he was. And so he did something which in the context is actually quite ridiculous. It's something that we can quite easily just flick past, but he ran up and climbed a tree, which was a big no-no for someone of his station. He did something which was rather outrageous, something outlandish. He took a risk. And maybe herein lies a lesson for us. 
If we want to pursue intimacy with God, maybe the Holy Spirit is going to call us to do something that is a little bit crazy. Maybe the Holy Spirit is going to ask you to step out into a promise that looks impossible. Maybe the Holy Spirit is going to ask you to pray for that person at your work who is dealing with that thing. But that is the cost of intimacy. And in order to see Jesus, that is what Zacchaeus had to do. He had to get up the tree. You know, David, back to King David, danced naked before the Lord. I don't know if you can get any more vulnerable than that. Just letting it all hang out. But he was unashamed because he was desperate. He was desperate to pursue a relationship with God, regardless of the consequences. Let us continue then in verse 5. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down, for I must stay at your house today. Here's another passage of this scripture which I haven't really thought about too much before. Jesus stopped, he looked, and he saw. How many times have we heard the story about Zacchaeus and and been told about the fact that Jesus would spend time with sinners and that is an amazing testimony of who God is, that he would send his son to seek and save the lost. That is who God is. But before that could ever happen in Zacchaeus' story, Jesus stopped and he looked and he saw into the very fabric of who Zacchaeus was. And you know, Jesus has got a habit of doing that. When Jesus looks at someone, he knows them. And this is another important step towards intimacy. Zacchaeus climbed the tree so that he could know who Jesus was. Jesus stopped to look so that Zacchaeus could be known. In John chapter 4, Jesus looks at the woman in the well and knows instantly that she has been rejected by society, that she has had many husbands. In Luke 5.22, Jesus looks at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and know that they have planned evil things in their heart. In John 5.6, Jesus looks at the man lying at the pool of Bethesda and knows that he has been there for a long time. One of the lies of the enemy, it's one that he tries on me quite often, is to say that we are insignificant. Why would God worry about knowing about your life? Why would God worry about caring for you? There are billions of you running around on this big, blue, green, round thing. But call it for what it is. That is a lie. That is a lie. And someone needs to hear that today. You are not an accident. Your life has purpose. Your life has meaning. God has called you here for a reason. He has a plan for you. He loves you and he cares for you. You are no accident. God knows us. God knows us intimately. If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths of the earth, you are there, says King David. God cannot be escaped. And so let us continue here in verse 6. So Zacchaeus hurried down and welcomed him joyfully. And all who saw it began to grumble, 
saying, He has gone to be the guest of a sinful man. But Zagir stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, half of my possessions I give to the poor. And if I cheated anyone, I will repay them fourfold. Here we see a miraculous transformation in this man. The Zacchaeus from verses 1 to the Zacchaeus in verse 6 is completely different. In a moment, this man who climbed a tree, he climbed the tree thinking that he would see who God was, but yet God grabbed him by his Holy Spirit and changed him instantly. In a moment, Zacchaeus had a plan. He thought he would do something so he could get closer to God, but God zapped him, nabbed him where he was. In a moment, that is the power of the gospel. That is the resurrection power of Jesus to step into situations and to change them instantly. Now, God can work over longer periods of time. Of course, God can do whatever he wants, but in this instant, God changed him changed this man miraculously. And he went from a selfish man, a self-important man, to one who was willing to give up so that he could follow Jesus, completely changing him forever. In a moment, Zacchaeus went from being accepted, from being rejected to accepted, and from being lost to being saved. And then we finish here in verse 9. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the God, sorry, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Herein lies the crux of the matter. We are compelled to love because he first loved us. Pursuing intimacy with God comes as a response of understanding what God did have intimacy with us. I wonder if you can really listen to the words of Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my laying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word was on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in. Behind and before, you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too lofty to atone. Wow. This is a passage of scripture which just speaks, it just shouts the intimacy of God. A God that knows every minute detail of who we are. If ever the enemy comes at you with a lie, that you are not known, that you are not valued, immerse yourself in the Word. Read Psalm 139. God knows us. He knows you. He knows you. Such knowing, such deep knowing, it's hard for us to understand. 
For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's room. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And I find it so fascinating that David talks about his life being written in God's book. Every thought, every emotion, every action is known by God. The very genetic information passed through from generation to generation with the genetic variations to make us is beautifully, perfectly illustrated in God's book which he authored about our lives. Each character, each gene precisely placed in the correct order and function to produce our life. And if you bear with me a second here, I want to nerd out a little bit. I love looking at science. Not in a way of proving or disproving God, but more so to get an understanding of the majesty of God. How great he really is. And I had a look at, they've got this human genome project. It's a, it's a UN sort of thing where they were looking at the human genome. And according to their research institute, the Human Genome Research Institute, our genome, the human genome, is made up of three billion characters. Three billion letters. Now that's a big number, so let me try and put this in a little bit of perspective for you. We know that the average English word contains about 4.7 letters, so we can round that up to five probably quite easily. If we were to have our human genome, our genetics, written down on sheets of paper as words, that would be 600 million words. 600 million words describing the person of you. Describing the person of me. Now, once again, we are dealing with astronomical numbers. What does that even mean? I don't even comprehend or understand that. So let's take this a step further. We know that the average novel of about two to 300 pages contains between 50 to 60,000 words. Everyone read a novel here before? Yeah? Okay. So about that thick. So if we were to have the genetic code of us written down on sheets of paper of novels it would stack up to 10,000 novels. Now, if we were to take those novels and place them one on top of each other till they reach to the sky, that stack would reach 1,000 feet high. That is the grand book or stack of books which describes us. Does that not scream of a God who is intimate and intricate? Into, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> Sometimes I get a bit tongue-tied. It's part of my DNA. <laughs> you know, the amazing thing is that God did not only read that, but he wrote it. God is the author and the orchestrator of our life. And it just blows my mind. We are living, breathing testimonies 
of a miraculous, powerful, almighty, overwhelming God. That's who he is. Your life screams it. The God who placed the starry host. You know, sometimes I look up at the stars and I think, God, what we, why do we need beings and beings? Of st- What's the point? If we are the pinnacle of your creation, why did you put all the stars in the sky? But then I remember the stars give glory to the one who created them. Their only purpose is to shout his glory. And I go, yeah, you know what? Probably about the right size. Probably just enough stars to scream the majesty of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Her point, if we are experiencing a lack of intimacy with God, it is not because he doesn't know us. But I'll tell you what, it's also not because he wasn't bothered to be vulnerable. Even though this image of God knowing us in our mother's womb as we were being formed is, is so intimate, there's another picture which just it, it blows my mind. It's an image that we celebrate at this time of year. It's written in the Gospels about a little baby boy born in a humble manger. You know, I would have thought if the king of glory, the king who created everything were to come down, maybe, just maybe he would be born in a palace surrounded by thousands of servants and physicians and gold and accolades and glory. But God chose to come in the intimate and secluded setting of a stable. Interesting start to the life of the Messiah. God chose vulnerability to be intimate with us. I might ask him and the band to come up if you guys don't mind. I know in my life there's been moments where God has drawn me towards intimacy with him. And every time that calling towards intimacy, it hasn't been for my, hasn't been for God's benefit rather, but it's been for mine. Each time where God calls me close, draws me close, it's so that I can be empowered to face what needs to, to be faced. When God is my source of peace, I am unshakable. When trials drive me deep into the arms of my loving Father, There is no thing that the enemy can throw against me because he is victorious. Because God works for good. All things for those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. My shortcomings, my insufficiencies, my iniquities, they give glory to God because he uses them. He turns them around so that he can have victory so that he can be glorified. And I had an example of that just recently, talking about relationships and family and intimacy. And It was a rather painful experience, and it's born out of a broken relationship with a particular family member. And a few months prior to this particular incident, God had placed on my heart to start praying for 
this particular family member and, and, and I started seeking God for reconciliation and God just gave me such a heart for this person. And a little bit down the track, there came an opportunity for me to be vulnerable. And in that moment of vulnerability, I, I, I opened up and I shared my heart and I told this person I loved them. I told this person I wanted to reconcile our relationship, that I wanted to restore what was broken. But it didn't end real well. I don't know if you've ever opened your heart to someone, just been really vulnerable, really put yourself out there, and they've just completely rejected you. To cut a long story short, they basically told me that they couldn't care less and that reconciliation was not on the cards for them. It was like they just grabbed a knife and stuck it into my side and started twisting it. I know that some of us have been there before and that might be one of the reasons why we struggle with vulnerability is because we want to protect ourselves from that hurt. But you know, the worst thing in the situation was the way that I responded and unfortunately it was in front of one of my sons. And so ashamed and defeated, I put my tail between my legs and I went home and praise God for women, praise God for wives. I shared the story with Mel and what had happened and she graciously listened. But then she wisely reminded me that God is in control of every circumstance, that he has this situation in his hands. But she didn't stop there. So he challenged me as well about my stinking attitude and how it needed to change. And you know, the amazing thing is that very night, I think it was around about nine o'clock, I got a phone call from this particular family member. And they had been thinking about it. They had been stewing on it and God had spoken to them. And actually they wanted to try again. They wanted to have reconciliation. Despite the fact that I'd completely stuffed this up, God had done a miraculous work and he was changing that situation around. And you know, I think it was a result of drawing intimate, drawing close with my Heavenly Father. He gave me a heart for this person. He gave me the heart to start praying even though I didn't want to pray for this particular person. And as I mentioned, I did stuff it up. But God is bigger than our stuff-ups. And he used that despite me completely ruining the situation to bring reconciliation. I give him the glory for that. Hope point, do we want to be a people that walk in victory? Let's run towards intimacy with the Father. Do we want to restore the broken relationships in our family? Let us run towards intimacy with the Father. Do we want to deal with the addictions that are stopping us from fulfilling God's promise in our life? Let us run towards intimacy with the Father. It's going to cost us. It's going to cost us vulnerability. It's going to cost us a little bit of courage as we get on our knees and start to get to know God. As I was preparing this message, two things that were really stuck heavy on my heart. The first one was this, that God is so, 
so desperate for intimacy with us that he has done everything so that we can access that intimacy. And in times of difficulty, in times where things aren't sure, like I mentioned earlier today, what is our response going to be? Hope point, what is our response? I believe that this morning God is calling a response from us. And the second thing that has been on my heart is families. And in particular relationships, marriages. I believe that God wants to do a work this morning in some relationships in this place. That he wants to draw us closer together because guess what? A relationship where two people love each other brings glory to God. A relationship with intimacy within the marriage brings glory to God. And so we might start playing this song. Good, good father. And then I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. And this morning we are going to see some breakthrough in marriages. We're going to see some hurts being healed. We're going to see some past grievances be washed away. As God does something amazing in us. Thank you, God.